So after Wimbledon, we go to, I go to Washington, but you went to San Jose. And in Washington, we talked about Bucinesco already, so San Jose a bit. But for Washington, the lasting memory for sure would be Zverev winning the title. Zverev was in a very good mood that week. Lovely to be around, to be clear. Zverev is not always, <laughs> um, you know, the object of such schadenfreude for me. But um, <laughs> Mur- Andy Murray finishing at 3 a.m. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I remember this now. Yeah. Yeah, that was a scene. And I was I was actually left side because there were a bunch of rain delays and I didn't need to cover that match. And I was actually watching at home on TV and the tennis channel commentators who were there, I believe it was, I want to say Ted Robinson. Um, and it's like, and I forget who the color commentator was, but they just went like completely silent on air <laughs> and just like, let you hear Andy Murray's heaving sobs. And like, in terms of like moments, like <laughs> of tennis broadcasting this year, that was by far number one, like in terms of just like, Holy crap, this is, I am witnessing something that like, I, I, I whoa. And yeah, best, best, uh, Supporting actor, you know, in terms of the clip they'll show in the little montages, they show their faces will be that for in, Andy mo- and, in memoriam. And... Oh god, <laughs> it got way darker than it needed to, but but uh, but yeah, but and Andy's tournament there, and then um, Sveta. That whole tournament was nuts. Yeah, and Sveta did uh, did some things at that tournament too. She won that tournament, right? She did. She beat Vekic. Yeah, she won. She won Washington West right Vekic. Yeah. Um, Becca had a very low key, great year. She really like, did. Very, very low key. And never had like she did beat Sloan at Wimbledon. That was a kind of maybe maybe the first chance to get a uh, a bigger that she got coverage for. But like it was kind of like under the radar. It was low key good. Well, because also seeds were falling left and right. Like it, it, it right. like nothing that you did. The story every single day of the first week of Wimbledon was like, oh, look at all these players who have lost. Not look at these upsets that have right. happened. But here's the thing, though, which was my thing for Wimbledon especially, is that those women who knocked out the top seeds at Wimbledon, almost all of them had great tournaments, like made the fourth round. Sasnovich made fourth round after beating Kvitova. Vekic made fourth round for beating Sloan. Rodina made fourth round for beating Keys. Um, I'm trying to think who else beat the top players. Uh, Sue Shea beat Halep. There's number one. Um, and got, you know, fourth round also. Like the women were backing it up. In this way that you don't usually see with a big giant being felled at a Grand Slam. So that was that was very cool. Even if they all did, none of them made the quarters. It's, but they all did make at least fourth round. And in a way that was pretty cool. So yeah. So there was there was Washington. Demeter made the final there. It was very rain-addled for sure. Oh my gosh. My favorite thing that happened in Canada. Because we were watching it together in Cincinnati. Hmm. Was when Stefano Tsitsipas beats Kevin Anderson in the semifinals. And does his amazing finger gesture of saying, like, he, because he's all these Greek fans in Toronto. And he, like, he's like, points to himself and be like, for me, and like, shakes his finger, goes, no, no, no. And then, you. Oh, I remember this. All the stadium. <laughs> it is the most delightful thing that I saw. Delightful is here. not the word that I would use. It was. Special. I mean, let's, let's, I mean, hold on. Let's go back. Okay. Because. Stephanos is definitely a remember when 2018 mm-hmm. because like, I feel like a lot of energy has been spent this year, even for me, 
somebody who spends very little time trying to figure out the ATP, but, but, but a lot of energy is spent even for me on like trying to figure out what, what's the deal? <laughs> what, what is going on here with Stefano Sitsabas? Because I adore the kid. I really do. There, there's this kind of art, you know, he's kind of this like, like, uh, marches to the beat of his own drum, you know, mm-hmm. uh, doesn't need the, he, he's not the typical jock, which he's obviously a silent disco of a person. He's a yes. st- total silent disco guy, which I love. Doesn't, you know, he's, he's, he's getting bullied by the people that you would think would bully him, which obviously again, I would be like, Oh, Stephanos, like, let me help. Let me protect you. He does video, you know, he's an artist with his videos and weird things, but like what exactly at the end of 2018, are we, are we looking at with Stefano Sitsabas? Because his tennis is amazing. I, I mean, I, mm-hmm. I feel like in Toronto, the thing that impressed me so much was just like his discipline, like his his rally building discipline. Like he wasn't he wasn't rash. Like he wasn't a player who most young players that you see, like you're kind of like, oh, once you learn discipline, you'll be better. But I feel like with Sitsapas, it's almost like, oh, you already have the discipline. It's just a matter of like being consistent i guess i don't know he doesn't have a whole lot of holes in his game like i mean like really because like again his ranking went from like his ranking went from like 91 to 15 or something this year it was nuts yeah and it would have been better if he hadn't had a hadn't been owned by medvedev weirdly um and just he he did not handle the heat well at the u.s open but same with federer and same with a lot of other people but so maybe conditioning can get better uh but that's understandable for someone who's 20 or 19 or however old he is now yeah he, he's just you're absolutely right he's the most most owned drummer player on tour and has this incredible lack of broiness that is like disconcerting yes. a tennis player that that's what's super like, a male it, tennis player because, like it's right, so exactly. weird there there are plenty of female tennis players broier than stefano sitsapas i mean like it's just this it's this ethos of the, of the culture that he just is proudly and not always complete it just seems natural it doesn't seem like he's really doing it to be a rebel per se, just what comes, what feels right to him. He's just outside of that mold in a way that I think is really disruptive in a sort of, you know, Silicon Valley wankish Uber type way of saying that word. <laughs> like he's just sort of, you know, um, he's just a way of just being outside the box thinking. So it's a whole new approach to how to be a tennis player. And I do think it's interesting that like, I don't know how much it's directly influenced by him. And I know that obviously Rob Steckley is a big, you know, engine in these things, but like uh, Shapovalov has started doing these videos too of himself which are much more produced and not made by himself but he's kind of the star of them and dominic okay but why is dominic team doing these but explain that one to me the dominic team videos are my favorite thing (laughs) i like i like all the videos that all three video of video auteurs who i've just mentioned are all like in their own to their own ways and they're both very authentic themselves and dominic teams is so incredibly like just the facts and straightforward and unflashy and serious and earnest in this way that I just, it's just so team. So how would you contrast your video auteurs on the ATP? So that's, so, so team is basically making like very sober minded, you know, kind of like jury duty instructional videos. <laughs> They're just sort of like there. I got jury duty again, by the way, today. I got another, ugh, I got like, it's the fifth time in like five years. Uh, it's insane how like DC gets this many trials. Anyway, so that's team. Shapovalovs are very flashy. They're like always editing the sort of animations and special effects and stuff that Steckley does. A lot of flash, a lot of like kind of you know like maybe like he does on court. Um, you know, just a lot of like you know, showmanship and and charisma out there. 
And Sitsipasas are these, like, they've kind of been different. It, it, the fall period of Sitsipasas thing have been much more kind of, like, just diaries and less ambitious, probably, than his his summer work. But they're just, he feels like he has something to say to the world. There's, like, a message behind them. He wants to be, like, a communicator of some sort of, of some sort of vision um, in a vaguely messianic way. It's interesting. And, you know, and, and they're just, like, and they're they're well done. And, it's, it's, and he does them all himself. He's, unlike Shapovalov, who has help and... Just sort of is the vehicle for for Rob's, from what I can tell from Rob for Rob's work. Um, Sitsipas does them all himself, and is uh, yeah, and it's just interesting. And I you and you just see, and it'll be interesting to see how it continues. See what the other people in the room make of him, and how they cope with him if he does continue to grow, and be a very relevant, very very good player. Like how does he fit in to you know. The, the does he get changed by the culture does the culture change around him because right That's now the they, biggest question. They, yeah. they don't those puzzle pieces don't fit together they don't yeah and so something it feels like has to give for sits of pass, you're saying yeah for sits of pass and versus the field ah, you know pretty yeah. much just in, i'm just certain even just like socially just in terms of just like personalities on tour like it he could he could do it i'm sure but it's, I, I had a hard time imagining like sits of pass on a labor cut bench you know like yeah, what that true. would look like so anyway, I, 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 all of that to me makes him really intriguing and really interesting. I was just like, and I did a story that I was, you know, weirdly that the story I was like most excited about after Darko was a story I did about Sitsipas' YouTube channel that I did. You were so excited about that. I got so into his YouTubes. I have still have push notifications for any video he has. You guys have no idea how many Sitsipas videos I've had to watch over dinner. Because Ben was no, obsessed. No, okay, no, that's like not a real number. Okay, it, it was over lunch. dinner. What at the Greek place? We weren't watching his videos. He was making a video there. We went there and he no, was there. you were that's definitely showing. I mean, you definitely showed me a bunch of videos. That was in your that was in your hotel room though. It wasn't a meal. Okay, well, I didn't want it to make it weird and be like in my hotel room, but like, okay. <laughs> hey, let's go back to your place and watch some stuff. <laughs> stuff, stuff yeah. In Mason, Ohio. Oh yeah, yeah. that's a good time. Fair enough. Yeah, so that so that was that was Canada. We you mentioned briefly already the uh, the Montreal final of Stone Hallop. That was nuts. Good. It was great. Uh, really it was great. Good. Really, it was Canada was a really really good week. Since the I remember well in Canada too. Like someone had to play like something like four or five matches in like five days. Yeah, five or four days. She played like definitely two matches, Pavs and Venus in one day. It was it was brutal, and she wasn't happy about it, and she called the WT out on it. Which was hilarious. <laughs> I was amused anyway. But, uh, <laughs> she was this whole like they're always out to get me, and we were all like, "What? They hate me? I don't know what I did to piss them off." And like literally, like everybody loves Simona, so it was just like this very, like funny kind of moment. But I, but I understood where she was coming from, which is that like when you have to, uh, when you have other top players who feel empowered to say no to things, and Simona's like super nice, like she never says no. Then what happens is that she gets asked to do things that like all the mm-hmm. time, just because she we we know she'll say yes to it, like she'll do it because she's a nice she's a nice person that way. But I think that I can understand her like looking left and right and being like, hold up, like all yeah. the other players that are like of my stature are not doing these things, like what's going on? And then plus you screw me over on the schedule, but it is what it is. It wasn't like the schedule was screwed. It just was what it had to be because of the weather. Yeah. Cincinnati was aside from I actually had a, as I remember when when we went to the great restaurant because Sitsipas had recommended it um, on his 
Insta story. It was so delicious. The food, the food here is amazing. The food here is amazing. Isn't that right? It's good, huh? And it was actually really good. So he it was, was right. Really good. Um, and then we, and we walked in and he was in there vlogging, which was like very meta. And then, yeah, we went to the, the men's final was terrible in Cincinnati. My car was a big personal issue in Cincinnati. Oh, yeah. My brakes stopped working. That was terrible. So I, I was just kind of in a bad mood all the time in Cincinnati because of that. The women's semifinal between Burton's and Kavitova again was really good. Oh, it was good. Yeah. I feel and like the it was women's like semifinal really between. And Halep Sabalenka was a good semifinal. Oh, too. yeah, for sure. Um, so that was a, it was a good tournament for sure. And then the women's final was pretty good. And then Halep ran out of gas. But Burton's like fully earned that tournament. Yeah, for sure. And so that was, that was very cool to see. And, and Djokovic completed the Jokimon in uh, in Cincinnati, which is something I've been hyping up forever and ever as a possibility. And he Roger somehow could not make a return, which was weird. Uh, Roger was awful in that Those match. return numbers were like hilarious as somebody who is not a Roger fan. Like – they were funny. They were so bad. It's his running joke, like that he can't return serves thing, and it it, it gets me every time. <laughs> I went down to Orlando for thirty six hours. Oh mid, yeah, mid Cincinnati. I remember that uh, for the Davis Cup vote. Davis Cup vote happened. Remember when? Remember Davis when you Cup and PK was... were friends? Oh my gosh! I told the story in the podcast already. On, uh, so I can maybe reinsert it here actually because I think it's like one of my better moments in this year, <laughs> twenty in twenty eighteen. So here is a, a clip show moment from when I talk about meeting uh, PK, a dude named PK. Um, I saw PK Subban. I was like, oh hey, PK Subban. I didn't want to ask him about the match, but the only probably, PK that matters. Uh, the only PK that matters. Did I tell my PK story on the show of Subban or PK? No, PK? other PK. Not on the show, but I think you told me in Mason. Should I tell the story of my PK story? Sure, go for it. Okay, so PK, so I I go down to cover Davis Cup, which we did not talk about on the show uh, for this Davis Cup vote, which obviously passed. And on the the day of the vote, uh, Gerard Piquet, who is a soccer player, who it's plays, called football. Who, no, it's not actually. He was in Florida, so it was called soccer. <laughs> and and he was there, and he's a, he's not someone who, if you heard me talk about soccer on the show, which hopefully you've been lucky enough to avoid up to this point. <laughs> Soccer is not an important part of my life. Um, I've watched a fair amount of international soccer. I've seen plenty of uh, plenty of it to make an informed decision. It's not for me. I enjoy the World Cup. I enjoy the Euros. You know, I enjoy you like enjoy national competition. Yes, exactly. I'm not at all into league club. soccer, yeah, you know, you club soccer, soccer, whatever that is. So that's not for me. And so this PK character is is on the is on the is on the horizon. I just don't know who this is. So I go and google image the day i've heard he's there or he's gonna be there that day for the vote he had a game the night before in barcelona they have a team in barcelona apparently uh that's a joke i knew that part <laughs> but but uh so i go and look on google images for what gerard pk looks like and i google him and i've obviously seen this person before because he's been on guessing on spain world cup teams that i've probably yeah. watched and when they won in 2010 yeah. i guess he was on that team so i've seen him before to me he looks like generic spanish soccer player but luckily, there was only one of those there that day. So I, I would be able to pick that up. I was like, okay, I know who this is. Whatever, fine. PK, they win the vote. He comes out. And I've been doing all these, like, you know, throughout the week, I've been sort of doing these, like, forecast votes of, like, who's voting which way, blah, 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 blah. And I was, like, one of the only people kind of doing this. And so he comes out. They win. He's jumping around. His team at, uh, what was the company called? Cosmos. Cosmos, right. Is, is chanting, President, 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 because he's their president, in addition to being a soccer player. And then he, they kind of get out of their huddle, whatever, and he, like, looks, and he sees me. He, like, looks at me, points at me. And he's like, I was following you on Twitter, like, all week. I kept refreshing. And I was like, oh, 
okay. <laughs> and just like, I was like, oh, thanks. I don't know what I said, but something was sort of like, in my mind, I was like, being like, can I get a retweet? <laughs> I, I, I wasn't even thinking that. I was just being, no, and then I looked at his Twitter later to be like, does he actually follow me? Like, does he, did he hit follow? And he, I think, does now. I don't remember. I don't know if he still does. I mean, maybe he saw some best of five. Actually, we know he's not a fan of best of five because the Davis Cup performs, so take that, soccer. Um, soccer new. Soccer 90 minutes in and out. It's beautiful. Uh, anyway, I just thought it was weird. Just went, he just, Ben just went so full circle. Soccer is trash, but it's short and it's awesome. <laughs> soccer knows what it's doing. It's not for me, but I totally respect it as a success. Good for you, not for me. Good, soccer is very much good for you, not for me. But I thought that it was just funny that like this person who I clicked, he's like, wow, he has 18 million Twitter That's followers. What said. That's why like, I was like, can I get a retweet? Like, who, like, who, this, who, okay. And so to me, PK Subban, the, the, the hockey player, uh, it's a, like, P period, K period, is a much more, I think blue stands for Pernell Carl, um, is a much more important PK in my life than Gerard PK. Same here. And, and just like, and the fact that he knew who I was and not vice versa, I'm not saying it's a brag, I just thought it was really weird. <laughs> like, honestly, like, especially because other people were like, oh my god, you have to need PK, and I was like, I guess. <laughs> like, is that a thing? I don't know. And I feel, I, I, I'm, I'm somewhat conscious of being like, I don't want to be like a sports writer and it's like I don't know like a famous sports person, but I've never covered soccer, never pretended to cover soccer. Yeah. I understand, I have thoughts about soccer, like they should move the dot back for the penalty <laughs> the dot. shootout. The dot should be moved back. If you want to call it spot, it's spot ben much just, better than dot. Those are synonyms. Ben just, ben just did air quotes over penalty shot. <laughs> it's true. It's too close. Okay. Move it back by like a couple meters, and it's a much more uh, competitive moment. Anyway, so that was that's my story, which I still think is weird. Um, yeah, so that was that was the Cincinnati, and then the U.S. Open. Uh, we get there. Uh, talk about Nick's event. I have that written down here, so that was good. Oh, I remember. So that was when the um, to get. I don't want to go back in the cat suit too much, but the cat suit. Controversy started before the U.S. Open, and do you remember who defended Serena on Twitter? Out of, I don't want to say nowhere, but out of Iran. What? Mahmoud Ahmadinejad. Oh on yeah, to support I remember, Serena yeah, Takasu in the strangest, like Mad Libs moment of tennis of 2018 I, for I me, just, for sure. I just don't understand what's going on in this sport. <laughs> no, it's very weird. I don't get it, but okay, yeah. So U.S. Open, I feel like this. I, I I'm. We can go. This is more recent, so I feel like less nostalgia for it. But things that happened that were—do you remember the is? You weren't on the grounds that much necessarily, but do you remember the is the best guy? Oh yes, 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 I do. This guy who was in the stands. Um, Sarek Lesia is the best. Yeah, sh- shouting. I was in like I was sitting lower bowl of ash for Ostapenko Sharapova, and he was shouting, "Alyona is the best! Alyona is the best!" Like, so loud from the upper deck that it was, like, disrupting the match. <laughs> and Chichak was staring at me, like, thank you, sir. Thank you. No, thank you. Yes, thank you. And it was it was wild. I appreciate yeah, that, the enthusiasm. Absolutely. And there was a great article about him the U.S. Open website did, which I gave a <laughs> oh, yeah. credit for. Um, I believe Ash. Right? Yeah, I think Ash wanted um, it, yeah. Yeah, and so, it, and that was, and that was, uh, you know, you could call him the best guy, which is funny. Um, <laughs> and he's like this guy who said he like went and like found people from small countries who he thought wouldn't have fans there. So he's like, oh, she's from Latvia. There's probably no Latvians here. I better go wild at that match. <laughs> it's an ash. And he successfully managed to like fill his voice at the stadium. It was wild. Speaking of loud voice people, 
the Muhammad Liani thing is still the weirdest thing that happened on court to me in 2018. Muhammad yeah. Liani coaching Nick Kyrgios. Just in terms of like the what is even happening here. So, so are you now making your case for the U.S. Open being the more crazy tournament yeah. compared to the oh, yeah. Okay, make oh, your yeah. case. Make your case. Okay, your so case. here's my case. So I mentioned Liani. Obviously, everything that happened with Serena and Osaka. The heat being this disgusting. Roger Federer melting like Alex Mack onto the court. He was very Alex just, Mack. Uh, in, in a complete puddle. <laughs> um, GC 161. Literally 20% at most of our fans will understand that reference. Oh, there's but no way it's 20. But people who get it, you are my Sam. people. Sam! Go ahead. <laughs> It's such a good show. <laughs> I bet it would hold show. up. I bet it would. I bet it would hold up. I love her. All. Like I, to this day, am still like every once in a while. I'm like, what is Alyssa Lenick doing? Because she should be bigger than she is, right? Between she that got, and like, ten almost, things I hate about you, she's got she, so little movie iconic. work. She got like she got ten things I hate about you. She was in the Babysitters Club movie. Yes, yeah, she was. And then not much else. She's so, so I, good. I, I want, is she like it just? Uh, okay, so other things happened in the U.S. Open that was that were wild. Uh, Halep lost as a top seed within the first ninety minutes of the tournament. That's it was crazy. theoretically wild. Halep losing to Kai Kanepi at the U.S. Open is not wild. Everybody was losing on on that new court. Yes. all the same anyway. Muguruza lost on that court to Muchova. To Muchova, who was amazing. Oh my gosh, uh, Kerber lost on that court. Kvitova lost on that court. Uh, Low key, like best indie film, like small release, just New York and LA, of 2018 was Barty Muchova U.S. Open. So good, so good. I want to see. Nobody like, watched that, but it was great. But it's one of those like performances or that tournament where you're like, "Hey, kid, Muchova, I'm gonna watch you more." Bully. So good. Absolutely. Things that happened at U.S. Open in mo- roughly chronological order: the Polanski Lucky Loser Slam, which I was obsessed with. And it just will never happen again. It was the weirdest, like, tennis nerd occurrence that could ever happen. Explain it. So Peter Polanski got lucky loser at four slams in a row. In like, a row? Just, in a, no, you you knew this. He got lucky loser at all four oh, grand slams this year. I thought it was a career lucky loser. No, slam. it was in 2018. Calendar. Okay. Calendar with two L's for lucky loser. Move over, Steffi. Absolutely. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, no one sent Steffi. I mean, there was no Vinci in his way. Like, he got it done. And he lost first round of all of them. And it's just such an incredibly hard needle to thread. Because you have to win two matches in qualifying every single time. Lose the third one every single time. And be and keep your ranking in that very narrow window of where you're going to be one of the highest, higher seeds to get picked from the, from the lottery. Like, all of this, like, this tightrope to walk that no one was ever plans to walk that he successfully managed to do blindfolded was pretty incredible um yeah the cornet shirt controversy there was that yes that was a big wild and that was like alexi cornet's bras on the today show and again Um, people be like oh wta it's not wta rule (laughs) okay no people were to this day because i only know this because i when i posted the uh the wta rule changes this week uh, if you go through the comments of both of those posts, there are literally people being like, well, what about the Cornet situation? What have you, you done to address that? You guys allow comments? I just, I don't, I don't like people, Ben. Okay. I just don't. The US Open out of nowhere announced a men's heat rule, like mid-tournament. Like that was, that's kind of wild. The heat was so gross. Novak Djokovic gave us a little clue about how wonderful it was to be naked in the ice bath with Martin Fuksovics. 
That was a real encore interview. Which, you know, both things can be true. The heat can be <laughs> terrible, and it can also be wonderful to be in an ice pack with Martin Fuskovich. It's, you know, it's not either either or. Andy Murray and Fernando Verdasco had their own like, ice bath controversy <laughs> where he was getting coaching, and Verdasco continues being the salty player of the year. Um, and Andy Murray, by the way, I forget, I always remember when at some point, but Andy Murray's like Instagram glow up or Instagram emergence is spectacular. So that's, remember, that's in terms of like best cinematography Oscar <laughs> for the year. We could do this as an award show for him, but much quicker. But yeah, he's a he's a winner for sure of the year. The Leoni Federer, the Leoni, sorry, Leoni versus Kyrios thing, which is nuts and still, you know, je suis Pierre Oug. Like it's <laughs> it, it's such a travesty. Um, Federer hits his around the net posting that went viral. Let's see, do, 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 do. oh my gosh, Serenko Vondrosova, the worst match insane. of the year was horrible and car crash match. The and worst match of the year. Von Drosheva afterwards impressed, <laughs> saying that <laughs> Serenko was lying and faking the entire time. Just like smiling. It was, talk about your like, again, best supporting actress, Marketa Vondrosheva. There's a, like, yeah. Yeah, there's a reason why the checks are the checks. Yeah. Perfectly nice, lovely people, but deep down, they will cut you. Oh yeah. They will cut you. I love that about them. John Millman had to stop the match in his quarterfinal against Djokovic because he was sweating so much. I was still was so confused the court about that. I feel like you and I might have like shared transport back to the back to Midtown, or and then gone to to PJ Carney's as we do. Oh, yeah. I don't I don't remember, but I just remember like walking to the hotel room and like turning on ESPN and just not at all understanding what was happening. Yeah, like with no, the was, shirt I change was... and the pause and like the score line and Fed's tired and I don't know. It, it was very hard to piece together what was going on in that match. And then I think I was covering that match. I, I don't know if we were together that night. Oh, okay, but fair it enough. It was, but yeah, basically it was it was insane, and it and it's just been so humid for so many days, and it was so humid and gross at night. This thing kept happening. Like it was these night matches that were the sweatiest. It was Federer, like like I said, like Alex Mack, just being. Insanely puddly. Oh, team bageled Nadal and then lost in five hours, pretty much. Oh, and people got mad at me for, like, laughing about that match because it was apparently, like, the best match of the season. But it wasn't. Suck it. No. It was close. <laughs> suck it. I, I was still in the press center until, like, one one thirty, two o'clock in the morning because I was having fun, life, like, like live tweeting it. Mm-hmm. Like, we all enjoy oh, our I lives remember, I, remember, I remember what you're talking about now. Yeah. You, you know. Like, you yeah. know. You know who did it. I know who did it. <laughs> Has a job now in theory, so. Uh, and then obviously the women's final was insane. Rafa retired from another slam, deep in slam again, and then the women's final was the most nuts match in terms of controversy of either of our careers. So hmm. I think the yeah, US I guess that's it true. over the French. That's my that's my case. Y'all can comment, uh, tweet us what you think was nuttier, but I think U.S. Open. No, I I, I still think it was it was it was the. Um... It was a French, French Open. If you were to come to me and say, Courtney, you have a million bucks, but you have to bet it when you can't sit on it. So you got you got to make a call. You have two choices. One is you bet it on the French Open being the craziest slam just because of the stories of, you know what? Actually, I'll just say Marco Trungaletti. You bet on the story of Marco Tringoletti, the French Open, compared to 
you bet on Serena Williams making a U.S. Open final and completely losing it at times. Which one do you bet on? I pick Trungalitti every time. But okay, this individual moment. I'm just saying the cumulativeness of it. Like no tournament has ever felt like as many. Just like every day was friggin' news. I don't as know. US Open. I feel like you're really you're really downplaying what happened at the at the French. The French Open, both top seeds won. It was kind of chalk. Okay, but one of those was like a given. The other one, eh? Yeah. You Maybe. know, I mean, every single day, like you have Muguruza like laying waste to Sharapova and then getting her ass handed to her by 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 Halep the next day. You have Kerber nearly knocking out Halep. You have all of the first round matches. You have Serena coming back and you don't really know. And she plays Barty and she's down like a set and she's, you know, whatever. And then she like claws back on and and gets through it. She gets through Gurgis, who was one of the best players at the time. But like at the time, like, okay, the second time they played each other at Wimbledon, you're like, okay, like Serena's probably gonna win. But initially, you don't know. There is drama every single time she steps on the court to to know what's going on. And meanwhile, Maria had a really good tournament in the grand scheme of things. Uh, and then the bottom half kind of fell apart and Sloan was like figuring things out through that half. I don't know. I, st- I, I, I maintain all, all that those, All French. those things are like on-court things though. Like for me, like like so many times like at the, at the US Open, you had to consult the rule book in this way that was like, what is we don't we're not programmed for this we don't know what happens when an umpire starts coaching things when a woman gets penalized for taking her shirt off when you know a a favorite of the crowd gets a game penalty in a grand slam final and the crowd goes nuts in response and boos the winner and the winner thinks they're booing her and starts crying like it was just like you needed therapy after the u.s open in a way that I think that's like, no true, but slam. I don't know about cause and effect. The trauma but... of it, I'm saying, in terms of traumatic <laughs> tournaments, the trauma of the U.S. Open was, I think, exponentially higher than any other tournament I've ever been at. I don't know, maybe. I, I, I mean, okay. I understand what you're arguing. I just, I just viscerally don't agree. But I'll okay. leave it to the fans. There we go. Um, that's about all I have for U.S. Open. I think I, that was a lot, but. Um, Oh, and then Katrina Adams' comments afterwards were so dopey um, in terms of just saying, and, and, yeah, I, you know, we talked about that during the show, I'm pretty sure. So, uh, yeah, that's the, uh, that was the U.S. Open. I'm trying to think of what else. No, that's, that's just plenty of U.S. Open. I'm not sure there is anything else. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a lot of U.S. Open. Um, it was hot. It was just a really gross. Yeah. All, like three of the slams were just really gross hot this year. Global yeah. warming, man. Australia was like the cool one. Yeah, Weird. that's true. Yeah, so that's that's that. And then we go into Asia. Uh, from the girls' side, big story from the fall was obviously Sabalenka, obviously Wang Shang. Mm-hmm. And we talked about a lot of these on the last episode. Yeah, exactly. Sort of so they, so rap, they did so. great, and it was good. Uh, oh, Sloan Pavlyuchenkova <laughs> was a dust-up. That's the kind of, that was weird. Because that was like two players who do not like do that. They do, but I mean, my reading of that match was very much kind of like Sloane feeling a little bit under stress because she had been chasing Singapore, mm-hmm. um, and feeling a little bit of stress and like Pavlyuchenkova kind of having to respond to it. Like I don't okay. think that like Nastia was like engaging with it or like instigating it. I think it was just more like she just happened to be a part of it because like Sloane was was a little bit perturbed 
by by what was happening. Sloan um, spoke first, yeah. Sloan spoke first, and if you want to recap what happened, you can. But, um, but yeah, it, it never yeah. it it never seemed to me that it was like Nastia like trying to like get back and and dig her heels in. It was just like she was like what, and then just like explained her side of things. But yeah, I hadn't I hadn't thought of the Sloan tension angle of it before. That's interesting. There was, I mean, she was, she was, it was on her. Like, she wanted to qualify for Singapore really, really badly. Yeah, because she never had. Yeah. And also, she knew, like, she had never really played well in Asia, specifically China. So, there was just kind of a lot, I think, going on with her head, which, understandably so. And she was fatigued, because the week before uh, that, what she was, that was in Beijing. So, she was in Wuhan, and the week before that, she was in Tokyo. Like, she had been playing kind of a, a, a protracted Asia schedule. Like a longer one than one would expect of a, a player that doesn't do well there, so yeah. I think she was just a bit she was a bit fried. I get that totally. Other fall thing, men's side, there was Labor Cup, which was in Chicago and like did incredible numbers in that tournament. Again, like we, I did a whole episode about with Liz Clark about that, um, and that sort of blew me away that tournament kyle edmund was there like ramming into people in the locker room just being (laughs) (laughs) that's that's one of my favorite you know gifts of the year is kyle edmund like mad and they say mad lad or whatever the british were saying just like you know body (laughs) chest bumping people like without their you know permission other things happened at uh fall um oh i don't think we've ever talked on the show about the saudi exo yeah that was a thing that happened. Um, Brian Rafael Nadal and, and Novak Djokovic decided to play or were, you know, announced to play an exhibition um, in Saudi Arabia at the behest of the Saudi government after there was amid speculation of, um, or not speculation, amid reports of the Saudi government orchestrating uh, the murder of a Washington Post journalist. So that was uh, one of the bigger unforced errors, I thought, of the year. that They got, they got out of when Rafa pulled out of it with injury without having to kind of it was a lucky escape hatch for them, I think. From that I story. mean, but so so I'm curious though, because obviously it's yeah. not my beat. But like, what um, were there any arguments other than the obvious argument of we're getting paid a buttload of money? The so, argument for yeah, to, yeah, exactly. What, what was so that? So the arguments I heard um, were they made a commitment and they should honor their commitment. Um, so pinky swear, pinky swear. And the other one I heard was like, it's important to be able to bring the people of Saudi Arabia tennis because they don't have tennis. And, you know, and it's like, it's what a great chance for Saudi fans was the other defense I heard. Uh-huh. Which, you know, Dubai is right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, they can go see tennis if they really want to. Uh, and a really high-level tennis uh, in Doha and Dubai. Although, obviously, Doha, there's a lot of issues geopolitically with Qatar right now in the region. But Dubai's been there for years. Like, I don't think anyone on that peninsula has been star for tennis. I'm sure it's on TV all the time, too. And maybe that's underplaying the sort of, you know, I'm sure there are local fans who would have seen it in person for the first time there. But I, I also think that it's just like, it's not the moment. And if, if Djokovic, you know, um, Djokovic especially, I put sort of more weight on this than at all, almost, because Djokovic has been more political in his, or more diplomatic in his sort of approach to his career. Well, which is also kind of funny, right, as a rationale. Of like, I'm going to hold the guy who's actually maybe, trying maybe, to do good at a higher standard than the guy who doesn't really seem to care. Yeah, that's maybe true. That might, that might be bullshit. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not saying that those are the pillars, the the poles, but it's, yeah, just, it's, it's just a little weird, right? I probably, you're gonna say I shouldn't give Rafa a pass anymore then. Kind of, because like yeah, you're talking fair. about, that's hey, fair. you dude who care, 
you're not doing what I want you to do. And you are somehow worse than the dude who doesn't care. I guess I, I guess I mean, want me like, to do what I want him to do. I guess, and this might, I don't mean this to be offensive to Rafa, but I mean, it's more like, hey, you dude who clearly reads the newspaper, you should know better. Like, you person who's seen uh, engaged okay. in world events, you know? Saying about like, Novak. Yeah, and not that Rafa doesn't know what's going on in the world. I have no reason that he doesn't, but he's not someone who chimes in, you know, on these sort of things and on, you know, UN-type stuff the way that Novak has carved a place for himself. Yeah, I know. I just, I I totally understand that 100%. I just think that it's weird, though, still in the abstract. You blame the guy who's, right, who's trying to do good. I totally get that. And excusing the guy who doesn't really care to. So, to be clear, I blame both of them. (laughs) (laughs) And I blame their PR for handling it really badly and just not and not having not being more prepped and not, you know, and some people will disagree and say they should have played. I've gotten I got lots of responses from displeased Saudi people who, who you know, thought I was, you know, very selective to go after Saudi Arabia uh, when lots of countries do bad things, which true. <laughs> I mean, lots of countries do bad things. You're right. There's lots of bad things going on. In many countries, including my own, we do plenty of bad things. So many bad things. The best things. The greatest things. The best bad things. Like the greatest things. You you will not believe. (laughs) We're going to do so much sinning, you won't believe it. Um, Can't win without sin. Go. No. So there's – yeah. So there's – I understand that. And also there's stuff that hasn't gotten much coverage in the U.S. about the whole Yemen war thing and all the atrocity stuff there on top of that – which probably should be more front of mind. It should be more front of mind for Americans and isn't. But yeah, well, so, but so all, all these reasons. And, and, and the other thing that made it that made it different to me is this was explicitly a government-run event. If it had just been some promoter who happened to be an independent company in Saudi Arabia, and you're going there, like that's one thing. This was it had like the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia seal, like for the royal family was their event, and that's what made it especially, I think, black and white to me. This one. No, that, I mean that's fair. I mean everybody can be can be. You know, the only comment that I was going to make about the whole, like, what aboutism, right? Like, yeah. it's like you say, oh, this is wrong. And then somebody says, oh, what about this thing that's yeah. equally or worse? You know, like, you're not saying anything about that. And I just kind of feel like you guys, like, you know, let's not, like, rank causes. Let's just what try aboutism to be good. Is a problem. Yeah. yeah, it is. Like, let's just try to be good, right? So if I care... If my issue is that I hate homeless cats and that's a thing that I get really, really pissed about and that I'm just like, oh, like super angry about and whatever. like Angry not... as in like help the cats or angry as in destroy the cats? No, angry as in help the cats and how okay. dare we gotcha. not be doing gotcha. anything to help gotcha. these cats. I just, I, I just wasn't sure. <laughs> you were like I know because you actually. anti Well, because you know exactly how I feel about cats. So I, I understand yeah, that. But. Uh, but yeah, like, so if that's like how you're going to be like, or somebody is like, you can't like go in and be like, but what about nuclear war? I don't see you tweet about nuclear war. You know what, dude? Like, cause my values might not be your values, but I'm trying to make the world a better place. Like, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm so, I'm so tired of it. Like this whole. There's too much, like, like too much disingenuous comparative literature in this world. It's you know, just brutal. like, yeah, it's just. Things can be evaluated on their own. And obviously keeping things in context is fair. And you do see – and it can be illustrative of the world when someone, you know, points out, oh, look at this person who got years in prison for an innocent, nonviolent crime. Oh, and then look for at sure, Brock yeah. Turner. And, you know, Brock Turner is one that gets brought up a lot for this. No, the, the immigrant – the woman who, like, voted – 
Oh, yeah, because she had a green card. I yeah, she, she had a green card, mm-hmm. and she, like, ended up voting, quote-unquote, illegally, and she got yeah. more time than, like, what Michael Cohen's going to spend or whatever. Oh, yeah, or even people who do, like, yeah, like, violent, like, yeah. Turner's the obvious one for me, but, like, there's... Yeah, I understand that as a concept, but it's just like a lot of times it can be it can be done in bad faith in a way that I think it's like it's just dismissive, and also it's it's fine to like you know work you know think locally, and act globally whatever or you know act locally think whatever it is. Uh, well, that and also that like your Twitter is not who you are. I can be mad about twenty different things that are like so much worse than what I put out on Twitter. Right. I don't like I'm very flippant on Twitter, but like I'm a. T- and I'm a tennis reporter, and so tennis is my beat. And so when Saudi Arabia gets put in a Djokovic-Nadal frame, it's when it becomes my turf, not when necessarily they are conducting, you know, bombing raids on Yemen or whatever. Like, that's yeah, that's, that, that's, that's worse, but it's not something that I – is my arena per se to – and because I, I don't do a lot of, you know, news commentating. Maybe that's – does that make sense? Hopefully it does. Yeah, no, it but does. That's when I'm going to chime in when it's in my in – my, you know, neighborhood at all. Correct. So anyway, um, so that was <laughs> very weirdly. Um, any, any other, any other fun things happened off season? Remember when we haven't gotten to, or um, remember when um, a lot of coaches changed? A lot of remember coaches when, changed. Remember. Oh, remember when Daria Kasatkina, you might not have remembered this, but Daria Kasatkina and Ons Jabor played one of the best finals of the year and everybody yes. forgot about it. Yes, it's in Moscow. Yes. It was incredible. It was literally the last regular regular season final of the year. It was so unbelievably good until Shabur in Moscow was unreal. Like unreal. It came out of nowhere. And yeah. it was fun. It was like shot making. It was everything that every that you know, typical people rip the WTA tour about oh it's just ball bashing. But no, no no. This was shot making. This was feel. This was touch. In my opinion, I know Simona Halep won shot of the year. In my my opinion, Ons Jabor should have won shot of the year for the the backhand pickup that she hit in that match. Uh, but it was great. Jabor ended up cramping at the end. It was like an emotional finish. But I was like so annoyed that I just feel like people like forgot about that match. It was, it was the wrong time of year. I mean, like that's just I mean, Moscow is sort of a term that's tough to get a lot of eyeballs on because the tour already is looking ahead to Singapore and. Wasn't a match with Singapore comp. I understand. I it was a great match, and I wish it hadn't been overlooked. But I understand fully how that. That's just not. I understand, sort of... but like there comes a point where you say, okay, you know, you can't sit there and say that you knew what happened in 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 it's... in uh, Moscow without like even understanding kind of what happened in the final. It's a match that I like hope that, and I actually I guess well they don't have the rights. They didn't have the rights, but it was the kind of match that I wish that WTA or not sorry not WTA tennis channel would like play all off season long. Sure. Like, in sort of like in sort of as they do filler content in this off season, like greatest stuff. Yeah, like it's fully forward, that. And, and to their credit, like they're yeah. showing Halep Davis constantly. Which well, I they like. should. So, that match yeah. was bonkers. And it also eats up a lot of airtime. <laughs> so that too. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's a good that's a good last one. And the but, men. I mean, the end the... of the year. Yeah, I mean, yeah. just finishing off though, like with Singapore. I mean, mm-hmm. historic, historic uh, uh, tournament. Uh, set basically set the record under format for for the number of three set matches. Um, crazy comebacks left and right. Ends up with like a surprise winner in Svitolina, who's probably of the eight, the last person anybody thought that would win yeah. the tournament. Definitely, uh, and on, and on that, just on, to finish the year, WTA, uh, the players who made the semifinals were five, six, seven, eight. 
the yep. seeds. Like, Which it's just, just like felt perfect right. WTA. Yeah. It just totally. felt right. It just really yeah. did. And it was one of those kind of litmus tests of like, do you follow the WTA? Then you're not like blinking twice about this. If you don't and you're just parachuting in, this looks weird. I mean, Svitolina is weird. I mean, like, literally, I would, I would have, like, I would have been like, I don't know what happened in Singapore, but it won't be Svitolina, right? Like, honestly, I mean, everybody that would have been like, that. Would, and that was a reasonable, I thought, assessment. And then, lo and behold, of course, she wins it, and Expected and it, she's she's a very unexpected. interesting one to watch in in twenty nineteen. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, like, yeah. I mean, you know, she has to at some point kind of refocus and and get things back together and just focus on her tennis for the next season. The way that she played and the resilience and the positivity with which she played with in Singapore, mm-hmm. I think, is really what stood out. It, it, the tennis was not always perfect, but the mentality was like every single match. Like she was like she's, dead on. She's positive. a really good competitor. I mean, like that's but one of the things. This with, time with she was her. she was positive. Yeah. You know, yeah, a lot of times she competes and she's like gets really negative. If she's not she doing well. She can be well. really scowly. Yeah. Exactly. But she was really positive through Singapore. I think she, I mean, as much as I've ever seen anybody play with nothing to lose, I guess the last time would have been like Gostapenko, um, in the French Open final. But but she she played so free, it was great. So it's just a matter of waiting to see if she could do it. And you know, Zverev won London. So you're talking yeah. about two players who everybody's like your big problem is the slams. And it's just it made an incremental step, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's, for sure. it's a bigger turn. It's a bigger tournament than they they won before. So even if they had both won the sort of premier five Masters type tournaments before, I was talking last time I was Fidelina, I was talking to Kamal Murray um, when I was doing the story on coaching changes, and he was like went out of his way to be super effusive about Svitolina and how well she played in Singapore and just what a competitor she was, and just there's a lot of and I sense that's not a you know unique feeling in the room like that she's someone who absolutely has. This might sound patronizing, but absolutely has the respect of, of the the coaches in the locker room and, and everybody there. That she's a even if she doesn't have anywhere near household name recognition or any sort of slam, you know, run to hang her hat on. Like people who know know that she's legit. Yeah, no, I think I think that's absolutely right. That's been my experience with with the coaches in the room as well as the players. I mean, I, if you win matches, if you win titles, like you're freaking absurd at tennis. Yeah, because it's so hard to do that. And, you know, I mean, Svitolina, yes, okay, she hasn't made a semifinal of a slam, but she has put herself in a position to do so. And on the tour level, she's beaten every single one of these players and sometimes resoundingly so. So it's so you look at that and you say, well, it's not a it's not the tennis that's lacking. It's it's just experience. It's it's mental. And. I do feel like that's stuff you can fix, but the tennis is there. Totally. And she's beaten a lot of number ones. A lot, a of, number lot one. of number ones, yeah. Yeah, totally. So, good on you, Elaine. And thank <laughs> you very... We talked about the last part of the season before, so I feel like we don't have to rehash that. But, yeah, catching off ones, rare of one, um, dudes won things. And Here's my question yeah. to you, Ben. Okay. What is the singular memory that you take from 2018 tennis wise. I don't want to say it's the U S open women's final, <laughs> but it, that's the trauma. Like I said, that's the one that'll like keep me up, like, you know, reliving. And, and I think like it was an American trauma. Like it's so many people like tuned into that. Like I said before with the, how the, the world or the country tunes into Serena, like that was this big flashpoint moment and everything that happened there and, and all the different interpretations. And one thing that I'm very interested in is going down to Australia 
uh, in a couple in one week where um, <laughs> where, you know, the reaction to it was very, very different. It was nowhere near as sympathetic. The reaction was, everywhere outside of the U.S. Everywhere outside of the U.S. Way. Exactly was and one way, and the, the U.S. US was, was another. The U.S. Way. was split. I mean, the U.S. had a lot of sympathy, some lack of sympathy too, but like all the sympathy was in the U.S. Outside of the U.S., from what I can tell, almost nobody like was rallying for Serena after this. It was very, pretty unanimously, pretty loudly negative and decrying her sportsmanship, decrying her whininess, decrying her making a scene, all this sort of. That was their take on Serena, and so. Seeing Serena at Tottenham Cup in a couple of weeks, which is a very pleasant, you know, genial tournament. Like, I, I don't know. I imagine her reception will be okay, but I don't know. I mean, it's uh, it'll be interesting to see. And she hasn't played since the U.S. Open, which she does every time. Now she leaves these U.S. Open matches as her, like, last thing of the year. And a lot of times with the Vinci match being very different than this match. But I'm interested to see how she, how she, um, and, and Melbourne, let's say, even after... Perth. She'll get a lot of questions about it in Melbourne when the International Press Corps mostly sees her for the first time. So it's going to be, it'll be, it's it, the chap, the, I feel like the book on it hasn't fully closed yet because she hasn't really, there, I feel like there has to be that one sort of like exit press conference from it. Yeah. Wherever your next tournament is. And she hasn't checked that box yet. Yeah. I thought so, about that with yeah. um, the Japanese press because my sense with the Japanese press is that they're still kind of reckoning with what happened that mm-hmm. day. Because they, they, because tennis is not, I mean, it's not really a big thing there at the time in, in September, that they they kind of were just like covering it as though it was just like a sporting event. And then all of that happened and they actually had to kind of explain what had happened. And obviously Naomi became, you know, the, the, the interest juggernaut that she is. And, and my sense from the Japanese press, because I get inquiries from them to do interviews and stuff is that sometimes I'll just get calls and be like, hi, we'd like to talk to you. We just kind of like want to talk about Serena because we need to explain her to the Japanese public. Yeah. And that to me is like kind of weird, right? Because I'm kind of like, well, everybody knows, you know, this, the, you know, some of the questions I get is like, how big is Serena in America? What is the significant, you know, like basic questions that we're like, oh, well, duh. But they really don't know. And so, but I was thinking about it last week because another journalist asked me to do an interview. And I was just like, huh, the Japanese press have not talked to Serena since that day. It's an interesting one, though, because like I I can't imagine them being the ones leading the press charge in Melbourne, though. Yeah, true. Just based on how they sort of operate. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a very good point. I don't know. It, it's it's because they're just you know they generally don't speak a lot in very few of them speak English for starters or, or are comfortable know, speaking are comfortable English. speaking English exactly or comfortable speaking English in a press conference setting, um, which is a different bar of English to be sure than just being able to function in English um, or even speaking good English or just being personality you need to have a certain personality for it and so yes I don't it'll be interesting to see I just feel like there's unfinished business there that probably won't be finished until Serena finishes her first match in Melbourne. Yeah, probably true. Um, so. Anyway, so that's that's that, so that's my that's my moment, which is I'm not thrilled with that answer, but um, that's sort of that's gonna be the that's the you know if you're putting together like a montage like a uh, you know gallery of defining photos from from 2018 and or from each year in tennis like the, for me 2018 is definitely like both of them standing at the trophy ceremony both looking sad. Oof dark right sorry yeah, super dark what happened to you man how did i become the positive one and you're like know. mr like what's your what's, what's your answer what's your do you, do you have a better do you have a different answer no i don't have a i don't have a better answer i mean you know if i if do i the men's answer 
I mean, is there a I'm sorry? Version? Is there a men's um, answer? Oh. I guess it's okay. The most Anderson. the most fun that I had on the men's side watching ATV match this year. And it's super random because I really did enjoy I mean, I loved Delpo um Nadal at Wimbledon. Mm-hmm. But the, the the match that stands out in my mind is Deminer Chilich at the so US good. Open. I was hoping you were gonna say that, yeah. It was totally. so good. Deminer was absurd. Absurd. I mean, we, you know, obviously call, you know, Kane Shikori, K Station, you know, video game like no, like Alex Deminer is like next level video game style of like movement and agility. It's unbelievable. With power too, yeah. With power he hit the as ball well. A lot harder than K, yeah. Exactly, and so like the way that he played that that those that last uh, uh, set and a half against Chilich was amazing. It was one of the more electric things, and it was happening at like one o'clock in the morning. Um, but it was a contender for late finish. Yeah, it was after two, I think. Even yeah, finish. it was after yeah. two. It was like super late, and I loved it. And so from the guys' side, that's probably my highlight because Andy Murray was out of commission for most of it. Um, but yeah, I I love that Dominic Chilich match. For the girls, my takeaways are really, I mean, what I'll remember from 2018 are are Halep winning the French and Osaka winning the U.S. Open. Obviously, in very different circumstances, but the reason why is related to kind of like what happened 24 hours later. So, I have to do, or I get to, depending on your point of view, uh, have to do um, Champions Corner podcasts with the winners of the Slams. And in each of the instances with Simona and um, and Naomi, they were kind of like a little bit different than normal. So with Simona, uh, ideally I do it the day of the, the you know, after the, the, the press conference after the match. And this year I came, I was like, do you want to do it? And she's like, oh my gosh, I'm sorry. I'm so hungry and I'm so tired. I've been talking for like an hour. Is there any way we can do it tomorrow? I was like, that's no problem. She's like, I will do it anytime you want, but I can we just please do it tomorrow? I was like, no problem. I'll come back tomorrow. So men's final, no big deal. The next day I show up and she is, it's the day that she's dressed in her like black dress, like taking photos in front of the, the Roland Garros lo- logo and stuff. And so we're going to talk and she's like, okay, where do you want to go? I was like, I don't know. So the WTA comms person says, let's go to the WTA office. Okay. It's down two sets of flights. Or two flights of stairs. Sorry. Um, no problem. So we're just chit-chatting. I walk down one flight of stairs. I turn, following Simona down the second flight of stairs. A huge, burly security guard, like, literally, like, stands right in front of me. And, like, bumps me with his shoulder. And he's like, what are you doing? Or, I mean, I presume that's what he's saying in French. I don't know. I don't speak French. Uh, but, yeah. but, like, so at that point, Simona and the comms person is down at the bottom of the stairs and I'm at the top of the stairs. I look at Simone. I'm like, I don't think my credential actually gets me access to that section, which is where the WTA office is. Mm -hmm. This is the absurdity of my life sometimes. Uh, And then Simona looks at me and she's like, that's okay. We'll just do it at the couch right at the top of the stairs. So Simona like sits and we sit on this couch. It's like a high traffic hallway. There are tons of people walking back and forth. At one point, Uncle Tony stops by and says congratulations to her. But it was just like one of those very like pure like moments with Simona where I was just like, this is who you are. Like, you know, like this is how you have been before this day, before before the day before of just being like very accommodating and very kind and thoughtful about like, oh, no big deal and not being a diva in any way, shape or form um, and willing to have this 
you know, conversation on the couch after the, the day after the biggest day of your career. Um, so that was that. And then with Naomi, it was kind of like a, a flip situation where she did all that. And then the next day, uh, I accompanied her to um, the, uh, the 30 Rock shoot, uh, 30 Rockefeller shoot. And I was like in the car with her. And she was just so... You mean... You mean... I'm sorry, you switched to Naomi. I'm sorry, I'm so confused. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, sorry. No, yeah. So then that's Simona's story. And then the reason why Naomi is the other memory that I take from 2018 um, is because the day after Naomi won, uh, I was a com- I had to do, again, the, the podcast with her. And so they were like, oh, can you meet her at her hotel? Um, and you can, like, do it either at the hotel or on the way to um, 30 Rockefeller where she was going to do her trophy shoot. I was like, no, nah, no problem. So I get there. And the thing that I just remember above all I mean I met I met met her mom and she was lovely and things and there was a lot of chit chat but I was in the backseat of the car with Naomi going to like um one of the boutiques to pick up dresses and stuff and I had to do the podcast from there and I just remember like looking at her because I I knew I didn't want to do the the podcast in this situation because I was like she's not in the mood for it and I would not be either like it's a you know a SUV there's five of us three in the back two in the front like it's a little tight and cramped it's like yeah. 8 30 in the morning I don't know like you know but I just remember like looking at her and she was just her eyes were open but she was staring at just a fixed point like in the back of the driver's seat because she was like sitting on the left se- left hand side of the back seat and just staring blankly as this car is maneuvering through midtown and it just was like, yeah, I, I, I just, it resonated with me in a way that was like very different than what like Simona's win resonated, where it was just like, mm-hmm. you just had like the greatest day of your career. And I'm not entirely sure you understand what the hell has happened. And then obviously from our perspective, like knowing what had happened, like being really sad for her, you know, like kind of almost thinking that like, I know where the conclusion of your thought process ends you just haven't gotten there yet, but I think this is kind of sad, (laughs) like, you know, like a little bit. Um, and then sure enough, like once we got to like, you know, Tokyo and Brisbane, uh, uh, Tokyo and and Beijing and, you know, she started to kind of have some space and talk about it a little bit more, just kind of like saying, you know, it was bittersweet. I, I, I don't, I try not to think about that day that I won the U S open, you know, all that. It's just sad. It's just not right. It just, I don't know. Like, so we agree. That's both of our moments, pretty much. Is I know nice? we're super emo. Like, cue dashboard confessional. Like, these are sad moments. I will but not cue dashboard confessional your for the outro. I'm just saying, nope. Everywhere, nope. screaming infidelities. Nope. <laughs> so bad. Such a terrible band. <laughs> um, Chris Caraba, not feeling it. But no, like, I so I have kind of this yin yang about 2018. Like, I. It was a great year. Like, it was really, really fun to cover for me personally. Like, I don't know on the guy's side, but on the girl's side, it was great because it was just like a lot of feel good moments constantly. Mm -hmm. You never really felt like you had to like write something negative because like every everything was like pretty good and pretty groovy. Um, And then, yeah, the U.S. New York happened and it got a little complicated because you understood both sides of it. But you also understood that there were like two sets of emotions on both sides of it. They yeah. were trying to like, yeah. So by the time, uh, by the time the last ball fell in Juhai off of the uh, over overhead backhand volley that um, Ash Barty hit uh, on match point mm. to win Juhai, uh, 
I, I, I needed to check out for a little while. <laughs> and thus we did. And thus we have only unrepressed these memories. <laughs> we were good <laughs> for and ready you. This is what for... we do for you. I suppose these things are all. So we thank you for listening to this very long, I think, three-part episode of No Challenges Remaining. I remember one special. Uh, thank you for being with us all year. We will be with you again in 2019 for season eight of No Challenges My Remaining. My lord. Insane. Like most shows know to stop by then, but we're still going. <laughs> um, so yes, yeah, so thank you very much for being with us for all these hundreds of episodes, or just if this is your first one, hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we would love to have you follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash NCR podcast. We're also on Twitter, NCR at NCR underscore tennis. Email us any questions, no challenges remaining at gmail.com. Postcard update. I have written hundreds and hundreds of postcards this past few weeks and all of the French open Wimbledon ones are now done. And if you are still waiting for one of those, they will hopefully be arriving to you soon or it already got lost in the mail (laughs) and sorry, I don't know what to do. Um, But all of them will have been sent out and completed on our end and put in the mail to you before then still a bunch of us open ones to do. Um, If you have not sent, uh, we asked on Twitter or sorry on Kickstarter for a um, change of address. Um, If you can do that, hopefully quickly after listening to this, actually this might not even work, but maybe if you can, um, if you haven't done that, send us your change of address and we'll try to make sure because you might have moved in the last three years um, since you gave us our, your address. So I'm um, hoping to get all those done soon and then we'll pretty much finally hopefully close the book on that. We still have a couple of Skype calls to do, but otherwise the finish line is for the first time in sight because you guys overwhelmed us with your support three years ago when we did the Kickstarter and, uh, you know, the four digit number of, of postcards to do was pretty, pretty crazy. So... It's a good problem to have, but it was uh, a lot. So my carpal tunnel will be thankful when it's <laughs> over. Any other, uh, I'm sure, rants, raves, thoughts, Courtney? You get your, your board game guide last week. I know, which was a which, hit. People yeah. seem to enjoy it. So if you yeah. still need, uh, like I said, I am your board game concierge. You're welcome mm-hmm. to inquire as to as to uh, board game recommendations. But um, no, I, I just wanted to recommend uh, or, or rave two things from the last couple of weeks that I, I really, really enjoyed. Well, three things, but really two things. First is um, Succession oh, on HBO. Fantastic. Like, and it really wasn't a show that I felt like I needed right now. It's a show about, um, it's a mini series, uh, 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 I guess a show, but um, there'll be separate seasons and whatever, but about um, a, a wealthy kind of Trump slash Murdoch type family uh, where the father has like uh, built this uh, multi multi-million dollar media conglomerate and the kids are all kind of jockeying for position uh, and he has a stroke and whatever. And so all hell breaks loose, but it's so funny um, and absurd mm. while also being incredibly scathing. Um, it's great. I, I really recommend it. And it was a show that I honestly didn't. And I, I follow TV, but I really didn't get a sense that people thought was a thing until maybe November once like best lists come, started coming out and I started to see mm. like succession show up. So succession on HBO, super, super good. The, uh, the I love Matthew McFadyen who played um, 
who was uh, Mr. Darcy in the most recent Pride and Prejudice with Keira Knightley. Um, but I've loved him since MI5. Uh, but he's also in it and he's hilarious. But Sarah Snook, who's like this Australian accent, does a great American accent, first of all. Like, you wouldn't know that she was Aussie. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, she plays the daughter. She's great. Highly recommended. Kieran Culkin. Culkin. Amazing. The second thing that I would recommend um, after Succession is... Well, you know what? Actually, I take this back. I don't say I'm going to recommend it, but I love it. And I'm just going to leave it at that, which is the the season 11 and presumably the final season of X-Files, which <laughs> I completely forgot. I, I completely forgot or didn't realize like ran back in January. And I'm a big X-Files person. And uh, so when I got back, I was like, oh, OK. So it's like 10 episodes. Watched it. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Yes, there are plot holes. Yes, none of it makes sense. Who the heck cares? It was great. <laughs> the Darren Morgan episode in season 11 is phenomenal. Um, yeah, I, I just, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I really, really wasn't expecting to because I'm normally like super negative about X-Files and I love it because I love it. But um, but yeah, that's really good. Um, and the last thing is that I'm re-watching The Fall because of my X-Files binge, um, which is the show on, on Netflix that was a BB show that stars uh, Jamie Dornan and most importantly, Jillian Anderson. And mm-hmm. holy heck, Jillian Anderson can act. So good. So those are my raves. Cool. That's a good set of raves. I've seen a lot of movies in the last, including a lot of like the movies that are just out in, in theaters in this fall. So the two I'd recommend the most would be uh, in ascending order. So my second recommendation, second best recommendation is for The Favorite, which I really like. So you did like um, it. I did like The Favorite. Yeah, I liked The Favorite a lot. It was it was much, much more of a comedy than I expected it to be. I think it gets marketed as this like dramatic, you know, court intrigue thing. And there is court intrigue for sure. But it's also just like very goofy a lot of the time. And like occasionally just like jarringly goofy in ways that I thought was just like, it's just an absurd way to spend two hours in terms of like <laughs> escapism and great and talk about, you know, mentioned Australian actress doing Americans. Like it's so rare. Like that happens all the time. British, Australian people playing Americans. But this was a American and Emma Stone being a fairly credible British person, which was sort of amazing. Love it. And the other leads in it, Rachel Weiss and Olivia Coleman were also great too. So really like that. Uh, but my number one, which I absolutely love was can you ever forgive me which is a melissa mccarthy movie and it is just i think it's it's a much it's a small sort of quiet movie but i think it's just like pitch perfect and amazing and i would happily rewatch it um on any plane i'm on for the rest of my life and or if it's still in australia or in australia i would happily go with you if you haven't seen it it's it's wonderful and so those are my two big movies and then tv in the fall earlier this fall i watched um the first season of marvelous mrs Maisel, which i really only heard of when it won the emmy for best comedy i had not heard almost anything about this show you didn't hear me raving about it weird no no I not love before, Maisel. No. no i hadn't heard about it before the emmys which i guess huh. were like in october or september yeah and i really hadn't heard much about it at all but i i loved it I, and I say that as someone who did not like Gilmore Girls. I could not stand Gilmore Girls. You need to stop and, talking. And I just couldn't stand it at all. Really couldn't stand Gilmore Girls. I'll just repeat it. <laughs> but it, it, Gilmore Girls had, the, like, for me, like, the Gilmore Girls, like, engine did not fit into the vehicle of wasps in a Connecticut B&B. It made no sense. Like, them having that kind of, like, manic okay. energy. But, like, in this, like, New York, 
Jewish 50 situation, it just makes so much more sense to me. Like everything, that's a fair everything critique. works better. And like the sort of the punchiness of it and the quick wittedness makes more sense for these characters than for stars hollow. And they also, and they're also just much more likable. And like in, in terms of like, in terms of charisma and like the things that they let the t- lead character of Maisel get away with in terms of her, Mrs. Maisel, the title character in terms of her charm, are things they tried to make Rory get away with? And I just never understood why everyone no, was so obsessed with Rory. That's not, no, 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 no. Maisel, Midge Maisel is not Rory. Midge Maisel is Lorelai. No, but I'm saying, that that's f- fair enough, but I'm saying Rory is just an awful character. Just Rory's like a terrible like, I character. Why, why, would, why would guys be fighting over Rory? Yeah, that's fair. I can't that argue just, with never, that. never made any sense to me at all. Rory could Gilmore all do, was you terrible. Could, you could all do better. Yep. Okay. Talking to you, you know... I keep going to call him Milo, whatever the, not, yeah, Ventimiglia, not Yiannopoulos. Um, <laughs> imagine him being like photoshopped into that show. That's different. Uh, that is different. Yeah. So, so I just think it's a much, it's, it's cool. It's like the best parts of um, Gilmore. If you like Gilmore, you'll like this show. But I'm saying if you did not like Gilmore, you will probably still like this show. I think it's just an incredibly likable show. Um, and the supporting actors are all great. Um, Tony Shalhoub is great. Her mom is great. Like every every like I, and I and actually I mean actually as much as I like Alex Borstein I was like kind of surprised that she won the like she's not my favorite supporting character in the show. Interesting, even though she's who's one your who favorite got, like, then? Probably probably the mother. Oh, she in is really of, good. She's I think she's just great. Yeah, she's no Emily Gilmore, but she's uh, she's very no, good. she's she's better than Emily Gilmore too. No, but, um, Emily I Gilmore is, is, is is probably the best character in. Emily well, Gilmore is the greatest well, a the, character. Actually, a lot, of, a lot of the supporting of. characters in Gilmore are actually pretty good, but I could not stand watching that show. Like I said, I just think that like I think the the Sherman Palladino, you know, manic writing style just for me just doesn't work there. Yeah. No, that's the best argument that I've heard about like not buying the Gilmore Girls world, which that makes sense. Like if because you're right, it it doesn't make sense. But Laura Lorelai is just the bomb, and so is Kelly Bishop, and yeah. I mean, Rory, we just ignore that because it's it's terrible. All of it. <laughs> She's the Carrie Bradshaw. Of... Oh, my gosh. Like, I, that's a legitimate think piece. Who do I dislike more? Carrie Bradshaw or Rory Gilmore? Probably Carrie gosh. Bradshaw because she's not related to Lorelai. Okay. But that's probably the only reason. It is interesting you never meet any of Carrie's family. They're, like, never discussed. They're never mentioned. Oh, yeah. Did huh? she, did, did she murder them? had to be where was she from she wasn't like from manhattan i think she was supposed to be a native maybe really it's amazing you spend that much time with that character and get like no backstory because she was terrible and i just didn't care to even if something was offered but i'm not entirely sure that something was offered i think that you meet miranda's mother at some point because they kill her off but i don't think that you meet any of the other parents on that show it's kind of odd not even charlotte or even like no i don't think so or like she got married but she got, I think it was all about her in-laws when she got married, I think. Yeah, true. Like, I think it's just, like, it's weirdly, like, they gave them all these sort of blank avatars in the show. And they never, like, had a sibling show up or anything. And maybe Miranda had a sister at the funeral, but, like, except for this funeral arc. Like, they never, yeah, it was, it's, uh... Let it just be repeated from today to eternity. Sex in the City is trash. It's not a good show. It's See, just I not. Don't... I don't know. I still think I think it has some value. When's the last you time you to... watched an episode? You were like, "Oh, that was funny." Embarrassingly recently, 
It really? does not age great. It ages better than Friends, I think, which I think is awful. I don't understand this Friends renaissance at all. First of all, Friends Friends has the the holiday armadillo episode, which is pretty great, as well as the episode where Chandler and Phoebe like find out about uh oh no. Uh, uh Phoebe and Joey and, and find Rachel Monica find out about and, yeah. Monica. Yeah. That mm-hmm. episode is freaking hilarious and also Ross with the pivot with the couch. Those are the three best episodes of Friends. Everything else is pointless, but they're three good episodes. Out of like 200. That's not a good batting average. Okay, but zero out of 50 ain't good either. And the, I don't think that Sex and the City holds up at all. Fair. No, I, I think it definitely is. I think, but it was like of its time. Maybe Friends was good in its time too. But I think Sex and the City made sense in its moment. I think it really did. It was a zeitgeist thing. Yeah, it just, I don't know. I don't, uh, really don't like that. I don't, I don't like those people. But I think if you rewatch it, like, and just hate watch for Carrie, it works. You get, you <laughs> yes, take, you get big satisfaction out of hating Carrie on that yeah, show. Yeah, no, Carrie, Carrie was the worst when it was running, and she's the worst now that it's not running. It's, oh my gosh, worse by the minute. Oh, terrible. Anyway. Speaking yes. of terrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I thought you were about to segue. Speaking of terrible, no, just speaking of terrible. Oh, that, this episode is gone for so long. It has, so we will stop it now. Um, thank you very much uh, for listening again, and we will wish you a Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. See you in Australia. Bye, mate. Bye, mate. Oh, actually, I will see you in LAX. Oh, that's right. I will see you in LAX. That's right. But the listeners will see us. In, yes. In Australia. All right. Ciao. See you in LA, bro. Bye. Bye. Bye.